I really mm. do embrace being proven wrong because it's so silly to me how people hold on to bad ideas. Like, why would you want to hold a bad idea that's just not gonna serve you in life to understand, going back to what I said about like understanding life better. Welcome to Amplify. We are here to help you own your truth, use your voice and stand out as the most unapologetically aligned, abundant and authentic version of you so that you can make a big impact in the world doing what sets your soul on fire. Because you and I, we are meant to stand the F out. I'm your host, Lauren Salon, and I'm a public relations and marketing expert, entrepreneur, speaker, former on-air entertainment host, and past professional fitness competitor and health coach. And several times per week, I'll be bringing you epic guest conversations and solo episodes along with the tools, tricks, and tips that you need in order to step into your power, own your purpose, and stand out in the world as the most vibrant version of you. Because I believe that the more you you are in the world, the more successful and fulfilled you will be. So what do you say? Are you ready? Let's get amplified because blending in is bullshit. Welcome back to Amplify. Today, I chat with my friend, Will Roosh. Will has taught high school social studies in Los Angeles for more than 17 years in several schools that have served very diverse populations. He is still currently teaching U.S. history, government and economics, and civics, and holds a California credential in both secondary education social studies and multi-subject K-8. through Will has worked with organizations like Heterodox Academy, FAIR, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, Civic Spirit, and others in his pursuit to bring critical thinking to the world of K-12 and high school education. Will is the host of the Cylinder Radio podcast and has expanded his educational reach to utilize social media as a way to promote viewpoint diversity and intellectual inquiry. Will currently resides in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, has three sons, and his hobbies include martial arts, auto mechanics, and outdoor activities. I know you guys are going to absolutely love this episode, and I am sure it's going to encourage you to think differently. Enjoy. All right. What's up, everyone? I am so excited to have a conversation today with my friend, Will, about so many different things. Well, thank you so much for joining on Amplify. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me. This is where we're going to go. Let's see. Everywhere, everywhere. I seriously, I think this is the most questions or like notes that I've had for any one interview, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Yeah. And partly because, yeah, we'll get into it. So first things first, starting with some rapid fire. So what is something you're grateful for right now? Oh, my boys. I have three kids eight, six, and one and a half and now off for the summer. So my house is crazy and it's beautiful chaos. I love it. So my kids. Yeah, I love that. What is a guilty pleasure of yours? Oh, ice cream. Is that like, like <laughs> that, a, that works. So yeah, it's literally like ice cream, like in bed, like a lady going through a divorce or something. Like I eat ice cream in bed, <laughs> like watching TV at night. Same. <laughs> yeah. I actually did that. I bought ice cream this weekend. I haven't had ice cream in my house or even really in general, I think in months and bought some this weekend. And so there have been a few ice cream in bed watching Netflix evenings over here. <laughs> this past Yeah, it's week. really wonderful. Like that's like a wild 
Saturday night for me now sometimes. It's just like, <laughs> I got two pints and it's like low calorie ice cream too. It's like Halo Top, <laughs> but it still doesn't matter. Yeah, and you're like, I'm going to have both of them out because I don't want to yeah. choose which flavor to do. <laughs> what is a random fact that most people would not know about you? Oh, I don't know how random it is, but I was a really sick kid. It's a little deep, mm. <laughs> but I was really sick, like sickly, like weakling, like kid. Mm. Like I couldn't run, jump, like climb things or anything like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Little... When did that shift? Because I wouldn't think that given I know. all you're up to now. Yeah. It shifted in, in my like mid twenties. I started like um, working out and then just started like focusing on like health and things like that. Like my mid twenties. Yeah. Wow. If you weren't doing what you do now, so teaching, getting into the online teaching space, that sort of thing, even I would say speaking quite a bit, what kind of job or career would you have? I've gotten asked this by like my students and stuff like that. And I kind of like reject the question. I'd be teaching. (laughs) But okay, if you couldn't, like what's like a crazy idea that you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. I could see myself doing that in a parallel universe. Yeah, but it'd be like, so... I love like jujitsu. So I teach jujitsu or like I teach like, you know, kayaking or something like I would just find a way to like to break things apart. So I like deep critical thinking. So I would do that. But then once I do that just for myself, it's not very like fulfilling. But Mm -hmm. so I'd find some sort of way to like figure things out and then share that. Even if it was with nobody, I'd write it down and then just like maybe burn the book then if I couldn't share it with anybody. (laughs) But I'd find some way to share my like my thought process and trying to like search for truth with people. I don't know. I just, the way I'm built. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that answer. What did you want to be when you were little? Oh man, I didn't really know. I think I picked police officer. And then my major, when I went in freshman year to college was criminal justice. And I dropped it real quick, but Mm. it was criminal justice. Yeah. Gotcha. Any weird talents or special skills? Hmm. Weird talents. I don't know. Like, what do people say, like juggling or something? I don't know how to juggle. I mean, it's all kinds of random stuff. Like touch my nose with my tongue. <laughs> yeah, that's that sort of like Double jointed, like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, one to think about for later. I will. When's the last time that you cried? Good question. It was something with my kids. It was probably my oldest. He's like, has trouble focusing and stuff like that. His trouble with like picky eating. Mm-hmm. And I was like a picky eater as a kid. And he was just expressing frustration about like, why can't, I hate being a picky eater and Mm. why can't I study and stuff like that? And like the empathy bone in me just like got triggered. And Mm. I was like, I gotta go. (laughs) So I walked out of there. Oh gosh. Yeah. Last time that you laughed so hard, you almost peed your pants. Almost? No, just again. So (laughs) what was it? Yeah, Sheila, my wife and I were watching. Oh, it was just today actually. (laughs) Cause like pride month and everything. She was, we were watching the scene from Bruno where he's the professional wrestler. Okay, yeah. Seen it? No. Oh my gosh, he's the professional wrestler. He gets up and he's just like, wants to be like really, really like straight. He plays this like over, like overly, like a feminine gay guy. And he talks about how, I don't know if you can curse on here. Yes, yeah. Okay, because he was like, he gets up, he does this whole thing about how he's like, my asshole's just for shitting. And it's always like rednecks. We're like, yeah. <laughs> oh We're just watching that just now. And I was laughing really hard. It's, <laughs> right. it's so good. Nice. I've never seen Bruno. It's fantastic. Early morning watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Favorite meal? Steak. Mm. Like steak. Yeah. yeah. I'm like a, like very, like not even sides, just like a good steak, like a rib. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Next place that you want to travel to? Probably the Philippines. Mm. I'm so like deeply rooted in the culture because my wife was born there and my kids have that. And like, I've never been. So it would definitely be like 
going to the Philippines and seeing all the different provinces yeah. and go to Manila and see where like my wife was, you know, grew up and stuff like that. It'd definitely be there. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Let's get into all the things. So I would love to know what inspired you to get into teaching and have you always been fascinated by history, government, civics, just to, I believe I know the answer already, but would love to have you share it with the audience. No, I mean, I was not a good student. I didn't care. I cared about the social elements of school, but like I'd never connected. I'm not like a history buff or -hmm. anything like that. I was always someone who was trying to like figure life out. So I was more of like a sociologist, I guess. Like that's where I'm more leaning toward, like trying to figure out why people act the way that they do and why this stuff is happening. And so I was like, well, how do I turn that into a job? I didn't feel like I had like the intellectual horsepower to be like a college professor. I wasn't like interested in that like pinky up, like whatever it is. It was like, what's that sport coat? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like the tweed coat or whatever, like yeah. these like professors yeah. are supposed to wear. Wasn't for me. So I was like, all right, I'll become like a regular high school teacher, but sociology wasn't really an option. So I was like, what's the closest thing? Social studies. And I was like, okay, so what's that? I guess history. I never liked history. I never connected with history really, but it's a good vehicle for trying to understand things. So the way I look at like history class, it's looking at studying past successes and failures to try and learn to make sense of the present and then build a better future. So I was like, okay, well, that's kind of it. So even in my class, like my students don't think of it as like a history class. They think of it Mm -hmm. as like a life class. And I just use history as like the delivering vehicle. Like that's the way that. that I explain kind of the best ways to approach life and how to avoid pitfalls and things like that. Yeah. I love that. And so part of your mission, I guess, and as you phrase it on Instagram, and obviously there's limited space to work with, but is to disarm echo chambers and, and really encourage people to think more critically to explore nuance, all of that. Can you speak into that a bit more and, and why you feel that's so important? Yeah. So medium-sized, small, medium suburb in like Eastern Pennsylvania. I grew up very like cliche, like middle America, you know, white picket fence. We had like a collie, like Lassie. You know, my parents are together and super white. My family tree is ridiculous. It's so white. My 23 and me is so it's <laughs> really boring. It's like 99.6% German. So it was a very like kind of isolated thing. And then I moved out to California, you know, the call to adventure or whatever. And like a whole bunch of experience out here, dated a lot, met a whole bunch of different kinds of people, married my wife who was from like the opposite side of the world. She's very different. I like the girls that I was like growing up around the girls that like my friends ended up marrying and stuff were largely just like me. Like they were just like mm-hmm. kind of from that background. And my wife was this kind of wild girl with like, you know, big fake boobs and blonde hair, even though she's Asian, like she was just like dynamo. And I was like, this is interesting. Not really what I was looking for, but her family, her ideologies and everything were so different. And it opened my eyes up. It was really challenging for me, but I kind of liked it. And I was like, wow, what I know about the world is so small. And she kind of expanded my world a little bit. So then it just started this snowball effect of like, wow, what else don't I know about? And it, that really was catalyst for change. And then it challenged a lot of like my preconceived ideas about the way I was raised, the kind of the viewpoints that like my family had and stuff like that. It just became this like, you know, like end of a, like a M night Shyamalan movie or, like, or something like that, where it's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is what the world is. This is nuts. I, that really turned me on. And then I said like, okay, so if that's my experience, then everyone must have that to some degree. Like everyone's mm-hmm. in their own little bubble, their own kind of dynamic of what the, the news they get on their phone, the people they hang out with, the world is much bigger than that. So I became like really committed to trying to expose 
all of that stuff to everybody to get a better understanding of, of like, I guess the human experience and get a better understanding of like what's actually happening in the world because we're so isolated. So that's, it was a big thing was I think marrying into a very different culture, different food, different ways that you approach parenting, different ways that you approach work. Like everything was different. So there isn't like one way to do things, which is like the whole idea of like my podcast, like different like perspectives and stuff like that. So it made me extremely open-minded. And I try to share that. Yeah. So what with you and Sheila's relationship and getting to know her, like in the earlier Mm -hmm. days, like what were some of those new things, like the biggest things that were different to you or stood out or that like kind of blew your mind the most? One was the focus on aesthetics. So she's in like the beauty industry. Mm -hmm. And I was like, East Coast stuff is different. Like there's like a way like to dress up in like, even like New York, it's kind of like, it's like, has like a modest side to it. And California is a little bit more free. It's a little bit more like open and things like that. But the focus on aesthetics, there's also probably like a cultural thing of this, but like plastic surgery, like plastic surgery was like the way I grew up was very much. It's like, it's either you don't do it or if you do it, it's like very much on the down low. And like, you know, my wife's family was like, okay with plastic surgery. And she had plastic surgery when she was young. And I was like, that was crazy. I thought that was like wrong. Like you shouldn't care Mm. about the way you look almost like it's all those, like those cliche platitudes like what matters is who you are on the inside not how you are on the outside and like yeah, yeah. of course but <laughs> you know the kind of ignore that kind of stuff so that was a big one the focus on like aesthetics was a really big one the way to parent also like bringing people in to like share the burden so like nannies and things like that like mm. no one i grew up with had nannies and any kind of help really like any kind of help raising their kids And my wife had nannies and like, now we have like a nanny who's like lives with us and is like really like a part of our lives and stuff like that. And that was really hard for me because I was like on this idea of you should do that yourself. You should kind of take that in, you know, like everyone in my neighborhood growing up, the dad mowed their own lawn, you know, like Mm -hmm. you mow your own lawn, you change your own oil, you're very self-sufficient. But what I realized is what that does is it makes you very isolated and the people who you would hire to mow your own lawn those people need a job. Like our nanny, it was like, sounds like very, whatever, like luxurious and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it is, but we also pay her and we take care of her. And before she was with us, she just was like a babysitter. Basically she would come when we yeah. leave out of town and stuff, but she lived in like a studio apartment in Koreatown with like five people, like five people wow. in a studio. And then we moved into a house that had an extra bedroom and Sheila was like, well, let's move her in. I was like, no, like, this is my cave. This is my territory. <laughs> what if I want to strut around naked or something like that? I want to walk around in my underwear. Like, I can't do that in my own house. Like, no, she's not moving in. And then it hit me like, wow, that's kind of ugly. Like, I'm mm-hmm. taking away that what could be a wonderful life for this woman who doesn't have family here, doesn't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And saying like, no, because I want, you know, these like little things. Like, I want to be able to walk around in my underwear. Like, I can wear a robe or something. Yeah. You know, like hiring people. I never connected the idea that if you hire someone to cut your grass, that that was like giving them a means, someone who's probably like below my socioeconomic standing in life, like giving them a means to provide for their family. I just didn't connect that. Yeah. So that was a really big one for me too. Okay. I love that. Yeah. That's something as you're saying that, like even thinking about my virtual assistant who lives in the Philippines and like I've referred so many clients to her to the point where now I think she started working for me in 2018. 
now she has her own virtual assistant agency. And so many of her clients are people that I've connected to her with and not everybody, of course, but like, I'm like, she supports her parents, her grand, like it's incredible. And so seeing that I'm like, wow. And that's not that big of a deal for me. Right. And I'm constantly like, what else can you do? <laughs> like, what else can you yeah. help me with? Cause I would love that. Yeah. And even thinking about my housekeeper, cause I have some Airbnb properties and I have one here in LA. And so my LA housekeeper, I just was seeing like all the dates that my assistant sent to her. And I'm like, yo, we are keeping her busy. Like, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. That concept of like one of the greatest forms of charity is providing people with a job. Like I heard that like, you know, like 10 years ago or something like that. I was like, I love, it. I think that's in a lot of ways, even like we break down, like the understanding of like the brain and stuff, like all my nerdy social science stuff, it's way better than, you know, just giving people things that they don't appreciate mm -hmm. or that, that they didn't earn, like giving people an opportunity to provide for themselves, which is what you do when you employ people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I want to talk a bit about, so you have been a great role model for me in so many ways in looking at other perspectives, other sides of issues and like being super transparent. Like there are often times where I'm like, no, it's really comfortable actually to just like be in my belief system and stay here. And then like something that you do, and I think you do so well is look at the like complete opposite of what you currently believe and are so willing to be proven wrong. Right. And say like, Hey, like, this is what I think of the issue. Like, give me a better argument, right? Like, let's talk it out. And you do that in a way that's very, very authentic. Cause there are also people who do that sort of thing just for the sake of like, let's get into an argument so I can make you look stupid. Right. A lot. Yeah. But something I very much see from you is that genuine desire to understand someone else's perspective, to have difficult conversations, to express your opinions, whether they're popular or not. And in doing that, you get a lot of trolls, a lot of haters, just a lot of that. Like, how has that journey been navigating? Well, I guess even just like speaking so authentically, the journey of like not caring what people think of navigating haters, trolls, all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it makes a lot of sense. So that's why I study a lot of like the psychology behind like why people do that and the backfire, psychological backfire effect or whatever it is. But I just want to lean into curiosity. And I think a lot of it's ego, like people structure their lives around like these ideas and that those ideas are who they are, as opposed to like they're a person that holds these ideas and these ideas are malleable and they can change, but they connect mm. themselves to these ideas or these identities. That's like a big thing now, like how you identify and it could be a lot of things. Like if I identify as like a teacher and like a husband and a parent or something like that, and you attack those things, my brain sees it as like, you're attacking like me, like who yeah. I am as a person. And then I'm going to defend myself. So if you identify by your race or by your gender or by your, you know, whatever it is, those are the things that you are going to identify that you're going to defend. But my ego, I switched it from being like the smart guy or whatever, if that was what I was trying to do to not having my ego is not connected with having the right answers. It's with getting to the right answers. So if you connect it with getting to the right answers, when you're proven wrong, you embrace that. Like, thank you. I had a bad idea and you helped me exchange it for a better idea. So everyone that proves me wrong, like you didn't see this data though. It's like, no, I didn't. Wow. Thank you. Like I really mm -hmm. do embrace being proven wrong because it's so silly to me how people 
hold on to bad ideas. Like, why would you want to hold a bad idea? That's just not going to serve you in life to understand going back to what I said about like understanding life better. So once I made that switch to, I'm trying to get to the right answers, not have the right answers. Like, mm -hmm. please prove me like the trolls who come after me. I'm terrible and terrible. I play the same playbook all the time, which is let's have a conversation. I mean, I've probably sent out 500 or more. Like I send them DMS on my phone. Hi. Like they'll say something. I'm terrible. I'm a racist, sexist, homophobe, or I'm, yeah. I'm a libtard or whatever it is. Like I get it from both sides. So I'll send like a video and I'll be like, hi, I'm Will. I'm a real person. Hi. Maybe it was my kid or something like that. Like I'm a father, you know, this is Mac or whatever it is. And then would you want to have a conversation? Like if I offended you or something, I didn't mean to, I'm trying to understand what's going on here. I would love to have a conversation with you. I'll make sure it's respectful and stuff like that. And 99% of the people either don't react yeah. or they say no, but I constantly say, let's have a conversation. If you think I'm bad, if you think I'm dangerous, or you think I'm bad, let's have a conversation about it. And let's see, I can try and explain to you why I don't think I'm bad and I have good intentions. And you can explain to me why you think I am. And most people don't want to. I think it's a little like disarming for them for me to take that approach, but that's the approach that I take. Yeah. And I've seen you do that so many yeah. times. Yeah. And especially like, I think a lot with like the critical race theory stuff and where when you do that, people almost get more mad at you. I've noticed in like some of the things that you shared, like, why do you think that people are unwilling to have a conversation with you and why that pisses them off. Yeah. Cause you've said it where it's like, Hey, we can go live on my channel on social media and you can like crush my argument in front of everybody. Like, it's not even like you're saying, let's have a secret private conversation. It's like, Oh, oh you, you think my idea is bad. And like, okay, then let's talk it out. Shift my understanding, share your perspective with my audience. Right. Yeah. Which I would think if someone feels really strongly about their views, right, they would take that sort of opportunity. But then again, it's also the internet where people are like, feel very emboldened to say whatever they want and then put their phone down and run away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say like, here's the thing, like you mentioned, some people do this, like Steven Crowder is like one that just comes to mind. He's yeah. like right wing kind of like pundit or whatever he is. And he said his whole thing is like changed my mind. But then I watched it and he basically just like, He's not actually trying to have his mind change. Like you said, he's just trying to arm up his position and prove that yeah. other people are wrong, ridicule them for being idiots and drop facts and stats that they didn't know about. I actually am interested in having my mind changed. I land on the ideas that I have, even though they are fluid, like I will change them, but I've landed on them because it's the best I could find. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I say like, well, I'll give you my platform, which is growing now. It's, you know, and we could get thousands of people to see this. And if you think I have a bad idea, let's expose it to the world so I can change my ideas. And I think that my willingness is like that confidence, I think challenges them. I think that because it's a lot of people, again, talking about identity, like here's what I mean, Lauren, like Sheila, my wife was vegan for a couple of years, not because of animals or anything like that, but just because of simplicity, she's really conscious about what she eats and puts in her body and stuff. So she was a vegan. But if a study came out about how monocrop agriculture was bad for soil and for animals and stuff like that, she was just like, all right, whatever. Like, I don't really care. I'm doing this for simplicity just so I don't get fat yeah. or whatever. But her identity wasn't aligned with being vegan. It was just how she ate for simplicity. But there are people who are like vegan girl 35 and they have the vegan shirts and the vegan bumper stickers. And they say, you know, animals oh are gosh. not food. <laughs> you challenge that and you say like, well, here's data on how 
you know, a high carbohydrate vegan diet might be bad for cancer or, you know, yeah. it kills a whole bunch of animals or whatever it is. It's bad for the environment in these ways. Like, wait a second, that's who I am. If that goes away, then who am I? Like, I think that's a big reason that people see like, wait a second, if I get exposed, if I realize that I am holding on these bad ideas and I've rooted so much of my life on these bad ideas, that's going to be almost too disorienting to come back from. I'm going to be in such a tailspin. I don't want to go through that discomfort. I think that's what a lot of it is. Because I went through that when I married into this family. Like, I went through that, like, oh, my gosh. So down is up and up is down and blah, 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 hmm. blah. And I mean, that's why I see a value in like psychedelics and stuff. I think there's really <laughs> good things to come from losing, being in that tumble, in that tumble of like, I don't know, up from down. Maybe what I was certain was true is not true. I think there's a ton of value in that. And that's what I'm trying to do. But I think it's terrifying. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's really scary. Absolutely. And you're saying about the vegan example, and obviously it's not just vegans who, you know, do this, no. but they're pretty intense. I would say a lot, they are. but I saw a license plate recently that was like vegan 77. And I'm like, wow. And my actual thought was, wow, that's how strongly you feel about how you eat that you are putting it on your license plate. (laughs) That is, is your license plate. Right. And okay. So with that, because how does one be really convicted and stand in their beliefs, but then not make it their identity? Like, how do you find that balance? Yeah. So, I mean, I think really understand why you hold the beliefs that you do. Like, so if you're going to be a vegan, like really why? If it's because you want to eat in a deathless way, like you can't, then go eat rocks. Like you can't do that. Like, or what you need to do is I think maybe this is it. Maybe it's, you need to realize that it's a lot more work. You can't just go to Ralph's and pick up like a bunch of lettuce and a bunch of, you know, bread and stuff like that. Cause what it took to make wonder bread was grinding up a lot of ground nesting birds and voles and mice and all that kind of stuff that get caught up in the turbines, really gross. Okay. So you, what you need to do is start your own garden in your backyard and which is a lot of work and you got to grow your own food and you got to become self-sustainable. And some people can't do that because they're in apartments and stuff like that. But a lot of us could work harder for our food. And I think it's like, if you got to think about why you attach to the beliefs that you do, if you're really for like helping marginalized communities or something like that, It's like, if you're really for that, then you got to get down to Skid Row. You got to talk to these people. Mm -hmm. You got to really find out their needs and what they want. And you got to sacrifice for yourself, your time, your money, your energy, all of that kind of stuff. I think it's easier to metaphorically put the little black box on your Instagram or to say like, you know, here's some money, you know, someone else go, you know, help the homeless or whatever it is. Like, it'd be interesting to know, like, if that person with the bumper, with the license plate, if they we're really conscious of the data on how many animals and how detrimental it is to grow these giant wheat fields and soy fields and how damaging it is to the environment. I don't know if they know because it's like either they have to give up the lifestyle or they have to start doing a lot of really hard work. And again, it's like, I'm going to just avoid that. And I think it's just easier to just put on the blinders and go, I'm doing a good thing. I'm helping these people. I'm helping these animals, whatever it is, because if I really open my eyes, it's going to be a lot of work in addition to the kind of like cognitive disarray that it's going to cause me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And finding the like, okay, 
like not this percentage, but like, oh, here's how strongly I believe it. Like I won't purchase the meat and eat it, but I have to be okay with the fact that my vegetables, like you were saying, like lots of creatures and animals and stuff do get harmed in the process of cultivating vegetables and fruits and stuff like that and non-meat products. Yeah. I mean, you take a forest and you mow it down to grow soy, like that's not good. (laughs) Like obviously. You know, there isn't just like multi like thousand acre soy farms that grow naturally. Like that doesn't exist. So they have to create <laughs> that. And that causes a lot of damage to the environment. Mm-hmm. Electric cars. You and oh, I yeah. both have Teslas. You know what I mean? Sorry, but like the cobalt mining. Oh, I yeah. Had a video that I made like a million views or something like that. Because I was just talking about how it sucks. But like our Teslas, which are awesome. I love my car. But yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. But like it was made with like legitimate slave labor in the cobalt mines of the Congo, it's like, oh man. And I just have to kind of live with that now. Right. But I didn't get my, t- but here, maybe this is what I'm saying. It's like, I didn't get my Tesla to save the environment. Same. Uh, yeah. I got my Tesla because it's dope. <laughs> like, Same. It's, it's fast <laughs> and it drives itself and it can hold all my stuff. And like, it can hold my kids and I can still beat a Lamborghini. Like it's the best. But if I got it for that reason, then I'm like kind of okay with me being a terrible person, like supporting these cobalt mines and stuff. But if I got it for the environmental idea and i realized that like i plug it in it's not just like hopes and dreams on the other side of that outlet it's probably a coal (laughs) like a coal burning electric plant so that's the kind of stuff that i'm thinking of yeah 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 i agree with you i'm like yeah i didn't i got because it's super fun and it's cool ass car and i like that i don't have to spend money on expensive california gas too but i'm like no like i'm not tricking myself into believing like i did a great thing for (laughs) the environment by any means like yeah it's a why lot matters. to create those cars. Yeah. 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 So how have you built courage to speak your truth and not care what people think and like share controversial perspectives? Yeah. I get asked that a lot. People say that to me. They say that I'm really like brave for talking about this. I have a friend who's an army ranger. He did like nine tours of Afghanistan and Iraq. Like he's just built like a brick shit house. He's just like brown belt and jujitsu, like everything, you know, sniper. And he told me, he's like, wow, you're really courageous for, I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. You're like, like, no, 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 no. I'm talking on the internet. <laughs> yeah, come on. Like you're out of your mind. But I think it's because I am very genuinely trying to get to the right answers. And I do have a moral compass. I mean, part of that's probably developed through like faith and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm a good person, Lauren, but I really try like to the point where it stresses me out when I have to like cancel on somebody or something like that. Like I really try mm-hmm. to be a good person. And in that process, like it caused me a lot of stress, as I said, but because of that, when, if someone comes after me with like, they're more virtuous than me, like I'm a better person than you. I care more about marginalized communities or something like that. I can confidently be like, I don't know. I'm not saying I care more than you, but I don't think that you care more than me. Cause if you want to talk about like, you know, helping black communities or something like that, like, yeah, I taught in those communities. I have a lot of connections with people who are in those communities you know, doing things. I'll promote it all day, every day. Like I will almost like outwoke you. Like I care about social justice a lot. I don't like the war on drugs. Cause I look at the data behind that, like all this kind of stuff. I am like really passionate about trying to do good. I'm a soft, I get into school teaching. You know what I mean? Like I'm a soft hearted person at the core. So if someone is trying to, I can kind of defend that. Cause I'm actually trying to do good. And if you can prove to me why your pathway is better or good, then I'm all ears. So I think it's my willingness to be open and stuff like that 
allows me to push back. Cause I have pushed back in yeah, and talk about like critical race theory and stuff like summer of 2020. I talked a lot about this stuff. Cause I was just like the things that you're doing, whether it's defund the police or whatever it is, I was like, that's going to hurt the black community. And we saw it hurt the black community. So, and I talk to people in these communities and I have friends in these communities and I know what they are. I'm not just getting it from the news or from, you know, the internet, I'm getting it from people too. And I think I'm able to be, you know, bold in pushing back because I have the same agenda as you do. You want to help these people. I do too. Here's how I think you do it. Here's mm -hmm. how you think. Well, let's convey our, and let's merge our ideas. I think that might be a little like challenging for people, but I think that's why I'm able to do it is because I am actually on board. I'm not in the camp of like, I don't care about those people. My background was like, I wanted to teach. I taught in East LA in a really tough area. It was 0% white school. And like, I was at a couple of schools, but at this one school was really bad. I was only there for a year because it closed down. But it was like one year, I think I had like six or seven kids shot, you know, little oh kids. Gosh, this is wild. I can tell like I had 48 kids in a classroom and I'd say three or four had an ankle bracelet on. I'd say two or three girls were pregnant. These stories, Lauren, were nuts. I had a 17-year-old girl who was pregnant with her third kid. Oh, my god. You know gosh. what I mean? Like, there's stories like that. Like, there's so many, like, heartbreaking stories. These stories of kids who were limping because they were half paralyzed because they got shot in the head at 14. Like, I've been there. I've done this. I've made connections with these kids. Like, don't tell me that you, whatever it is, you know, supporting this one politician or something like that, like, that you really care. Like, I was there in the trenches for a bunch of years at different schools like that. And I left for different reasons, but like, I really do care. Like I really mm -hmm. do. I really am into this, which yeah. sounds gross for me to say, but it's, it's true. Yeah. But I think that matters because, and you can feel that authenticity and genuine curiosity and care. Yeah. I believe in how you show up and present things. I hope so. I'm very self-conscious about that though. Like I know how it mm. sounds for me to be like, I care about the little poor kids. Like I know how that sounds. So I'm very careful about it, but it's like, I don't know how else to, I downplay it a lot, but like, it's very true. Yeah. Like, how do you expand your thinking, whether it's through books, podcasts, things you listen to, like, are, do you watch the news much? Like, what are you taking in and using to continually like grow, develop, expand? Yeah. It's a lot of podcasts. I find people that I like who are like heterodox is the word. Like it's like not orthodox. So it's like basically like you're open to ideas from different places. So I, yeah, I, I listen to that. Like anyone who I think will really challenge my perspective on things. I'm really interested in what they have. I also like people that will confirm my bias because I'm human. And I think that we want to also be proven right. But mm -hmm. I'm always more interested in like this person has really good arguments against what I am. The problem is a lot of people don't like, I mean, I think that I've developed my positions now and I'm all over the place, but to a point where like, I can argue the other side as well better or better than, than people, people who actually support that side. <laughs> yeah. And I find myself doing that all the time. So yeah, I mean, I don't like sit down and watch the news, but I'll kind of find out what's going on just through maybe through like, yeah, social media or something or friends or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And then I can always connect it to like the bigger patterns of history. I kind of, I'm pretty good as like a first principles thinker of like, oh, I kind of know what this is, even though I don't know the details. It's people going into details. Yeah. I'm like, I don't really know the details. I kind of get it. And it turns out to be true a lot. Cause I, I mean, human behavior is human behavior mm -hmm. a lot of times. And you can kind of get a feel for it, but I'm always on the lookout for different perspectives. I would love to read more. I have a long commute. So I do audiobooks. 
but like there's no way people send me books all the time it's really nice but there's no way with like my chaotic three kids and like this business that my wife runs and stuff like that that i can like sit down and just like sit and read a book in the corner it's just not happening so i have to get out of the house and get audiobooks most of the time yeah what are some of the podcasts you're loving or like to dive into yeah i really like i mean the one that got me into like the whole podcast thing it's like obvious now but it's like joe rogan's podcast Mm. You know, I started because I like martial arts. I like hunting. I like cars. I like all that like dude stuff. And I was like, oh, I have a long commute. I'll just listen to this meathead talk about that stuff. And it'll be like easy. No, I went from like listening to Howard Stern. I was like, this is just gonna be like a continuation of that. And it's not what it is. It gets really deep. And he brought in all these like interesting professors like Eric Weinstein and Jordan Peterson and Mm -hmm. Sam Harris and all these people. I was like, wow, this is really nuts. Okay. That was happening like right as I started kind of like was building a family with my wife. So that was like going hand in hand, the whole, like they called it the intellectual dark web. Like it was like these people with all these different views and it was happening as I was like immersing myself in this new culture that I was marrying mm-hmm. into. So that was like Joe Rogan podcast was really big for me. And then that branched off to like the Lex Friedman podcast, which I really like a lot too. And he's soft, but he gives, he brings on like a really good group of like different kind of thinkers. And I get to see their points of view and he asks good questions and stuff. He does it with heart. So those are probably two of the podcasts that I like. For news, I do like Breaking Points with like Sagar and Crystal. I disagree with them on some things, but it's a nice like kind of overview of what's happening. And I don't always agree, but I think that they're trying to be fair. I think I'm looking for people that are like at least trying to get to the truth. Even if I disagree, it's like I'm trying to be honest Mm -hmm. here. And they seem to be actually like interested in that. So those, yeah. And then it'd be like books, you know, like the people that I follow, who kind of think like me, but they're like smarter and they have like more like energy and time or whatever. They like recommend certain books and I'll like get the book and I'll listen to an audio book on my commute. Very cool. So question for you, cause I love how you said like, oh, I can usually argue the other side better mm-hmm. than somebody who actually believes in it. How does somebody become a better at arguing, better at having debates, a better critical thinker? Yeah. So we call that like, you've heard of like the straw man position. So like, if yes, you're but could somebody, you explain it? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're like in a debate with somebody, so you could take like, what's a really controversial one, like abortion, it's like super controversial. So a straw man argument would be something like, what about 13 year old girl is raped by her dad? And then you're forcing her to hold on to that baby. It's like, well, that's like a really rare instance. That's not really like the best position right. to take about why abortion should be you know, legal and available in like in all 50 states and stuff like that. So it's like a straw man position that no one's really like most people, would, you know, you could argue like, well, the baby still has a life or whatever it is. But like, that's like very rare as opposed to what is the best argument for the side that you disagree with? So mm. it's called a steel man position. So straw man is easily defeated. Steel man is hard to take down. Okay. So something for like the abortion issue would be something along the lines of like prohibition doesn't work. So every time we prohibited alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, it's still going to happen. So, you know, if we prohibit access to abortion, then people will still get it. It'll just be done in more dangerous ways. That's probably a better argument, I would believe. It's a better argument for supporting that side. Not saying I'm taking the side, just saying like that's probably like an example of like a better argument with that expands to more people. Now, I actually mm-hmm. <laughs> like plug, but like I have this like moving on to like online stuff a little bit. And I created this, like, it's like 10 different ways that you can become better at, it's not arguing though. It's the title is like debate to dialogue, how to have Mm -hmm. productive conversations. 
It's like how to better understand why people disagree with you. And mm. if you and I differ on like a very like contentious topic, you know, it could be like LGBTQ stuff or it could be the abortion issue or whatever it is. How do you communicate with someone? It could be a family member, it could be a friend, whatever, in a way that's going to be productive because you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion with family and friends, right? But I break down how you can, you actually can have hmm. conversations about politics and religion with your friends, even if you're passionate about it with like these kind of like strategies and being able to learn how to steal man is like one of the strategies that I kind of break down. Cause I really do believe in it. That's why I made that thing. So I was like, this is important. I think for people, I know people who broke up, like talking to their dads for like three years because he posted something about how George Floyd is a criminal. So they stopped talking to their father wow. for years. Yeah. And he's like an old man. It's like, what are you doing? Like, come on. Like, you got to try and reconcile those relationships. But people lost their friends. People lost their relationships. I know a guy who broke up with his girlfriend because of his stance on like COVID vaccines or something like that. Like, we got to try and round our edges and learn from each other a little bit more and be able to have that dialogue so we're not pushed off in our echo chambers and then go off. And then we just like, do you know, like, it's so crazy. Like, there's data on like who people are willing to date. Lauren, so like people are more open to dating like outside their race than ever before, but mm -hmm. more hesitant to date outside of their political party than ever before. So like whatever, like a white girl will be like, I'll date a black guy as long as he's a Democrat or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. as long as he's a Republican. Like that's interesting because skin, there's cultural elements of that. But the fact that my wife was different politically than me was also part of that thing. Like her, she comes mm -hmm. from a more conservative family of immigrants and business owners and stuff like that. So I think it's a real problem if you marry someone that you align with on all these political issues, because then you're just going to be this echo chamber back and forth. Like, you know, we should open up the border. Yeah, we should. Five. And then like, that's it. There's all there is to it. And then you go out into the world and they're like, well, there's problems with that. Like, there is. How would you ever know that if you don't have any challenges? And I think that having a good, strong relationship, romantic relationship, they want to start a family with. I think it's, it's going to be challenging. So like, having someone that challenges you and challenges your thinking and stuff. So that was a lot. No, but even as you're saying that, right? Like, cause whether it's like seeing being in like different Facebook groups and stuff like that, but even when I used to be using dating apps, like if there were too many like political little like nuggets on someone's profile that weren't in my, like what I believe, I'm like, nope. Like if you feel that strongly that you have to reference some, and for me, it was more like, the ideology sort of thing. Like if you feel that strongly about your political standpoint where that you've made mention of it in your dating profile three times, like yeah. regardless of what position it is, but regardless I regardless of the side. Yeah. 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 Like a politics and that important to you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like who you're looking for, but even seeing like on social media and stuff like that, people being like, Oh, well, everyone knows that if you put that like moderate, that really means you're a right wing extremist. Like I would see so many women in like LA based Facebook groups and stuff like that, saying that kind of stuff. Like it was just very interesting to notice those sorts of things on dating apps. And like, to a certain extent agree that like, yeah, you don't want to be pursuing somebody or in a relationship with somebody that has like completely opposite core values that doesn't have compatibility and where you're not able to find a middle ground, of course not. Right. That's not, doesn't make for like a healthy, I think dynamic, but also, yeah, the resistance to like anything except for exactly what I believe Yeah, is really prevalent. Yeah. yeah. The core values. It's, what's interesting about that is one of the things that I talk about a lot, which is also in that, like 
that freebie that I made yeah. is like, where can everyone get that freebie? Oh, by the way? <laughs> my website, willroosh.com. It's on my Instagram. It's just called okay. debate to dialogue. Okay. That's cool. just what it's We'll make sure to include it in okay. the show notes. Yeah. I thank think you. Be I, I really believe in it, but like what you find out is there's this John Haidt is a social psychologist at the Stern business school, NYU. And he came up with this idea of like the moral foundations theory, which is basically like, if you're like taking someone who's like very right wing and very left wing, they actually do have a lot of the core, same core values of like protecting their children yeah. and freedom. They just interpret it differently. Mm-hmm. So you might disagree with how to go about doing that. But at the same time, like you do agree that this is important. It's just how to go about it. You know, you believe in safety, you believe in kindness, you believe in this, but just like how to go about it. I mean, maybe religion would be like one where like, you know, if someone's like Jewish and someone's Muslim, that that might be like oil and water. Maybe you, you wouldn't be able to, you know, raise a family the same way. But there's like a hypothetical that I give my students a lot is I pick someone in the school who's like the nicest teacher in the school, like the softest, kindest, you know, Mr. Jenkins, who's just like Mr. Rogers. Okay. Let's say Mr. Rogers. Okay. And you take Mr. Rogers and everyone goes, Mr. Rogers, the nicest guy ever. Now, what would happen if you saw Mr. Rogers, you grew up watching him and everything. And then he comes out and he has a red MAGA hat on. Like you really have two choices. One choice is Mr. Rogers, this guy that I've known for 20 years and watched him be wonderful to everybody Mm -hmm. is not who I thought he was or MAGA hat wearers are not what I thought they were. Mm. And I think that far too many people go to, and the MAGA hat could be anything. It could be a Black Lives Matter shirt. Sure. Okay. So Mr. Rogers comes out in a Black Lives Matter shirt. Like then people go like, oh, Mr. Rogers, he's radical. Or maybe the people who wear those shirts or wear those hats aren't what you think they are or what the news has told you or Fox News, CNN has told you they are. And it's shocking to me how many people devolve into like the, oh, this person that I've known my whole life is not who I thought they were. It's actually, they're bad because of who like the internet or news has told me. Yeah. That's like an interesting one. I get that gets kids kind of recognizing that because we saw that a lot. You know, it might be that Mr. Rogers is ignorant. Sure. But maybe like I know him to be really astute. So that like kind of like dissonance, I think is really valuable. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, completely agree. And it's been interesting to see in the last handful of years, like the rise with cancel culture and things like that off of like somebody doing one thing gets done, said, posted, somebody likes something, right? Like, cause you can't even like people who have public brands, if you will, or public figures can't even like, like certain things on social yeah. media. Right. And for fear of like getting completely canceled and it's been interesting to notice that how quickly people are to, oh, you did this one thing that discredits every single thing you've ever done before all the years that I've known you to be X, Y, Z, right? It's sad. Where's the curiosity? Mm-hmm. Like, where's the curiosity to go? How could you do that? The people say it in a, like a rhetorical question. Like, how could you do that? How could you vote for Biden? As opposed to like, I'm trying to make sense of this. Like, can you bring yeah. me in? Like, why would you vote for this person? Like, help me understand. Like, I just don't, I know you to be someone who blah, 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 blah. Like, this is all the stuff that I kind of break down. Cause I think that these are strategies. Like, instead of saying like, assuming that you know why, just lean into why, like, why? Yeah. Why, why are you doing this? And cancel culture is not interested in understanding. No, it's interesting cutting it out. You know, I had Daryl Davis on my podcast twice. Who's awesome. And I don't know if you know the story of him or if your mm-hmm. listeners know, but he's a jazz musician. He's a black guy. He's a jazz musician. 
And after a show one day, a guy invited him to have a beer, two white guys. And the guy said, you know, it's the first time I've ever sat down with a black guy for a beer. It's like, what? How's that possible? And his friend goes, show him, showed him his card. He's a member of the KKK, Ku Klux Klan. And Daryl's like, okay, interesting. And long story short, he breaks it all down. But like, basically, he has a TED talk with like millions of views. Interesting guy. He befriended the KKK member. Hmm. He didn't cut him out of his life. It wasn't like, oh, right, get up from the table. I'm out. He befriended him. He leaned in. Why do you think this way? What's your background like? Tell me about your story. They became friends. Okay. He actually went to Klan rallies to try and talk to these people, understand why they think and challenge their thinking. He challenged it because they would say things like, you know, black people are whatever, like dumb or whatever it is. And he's like, well, what about this person who's like a college professor or whatever it is? And then long story short, he gets to the end as um, his friend came a couple of years later, came to his house and he said, I have a gift for you, Daryl. And gave him this box. Daryl opened it up and it was a KKK robe. And Daryl's like, what? I don't want a KKK robe. He goes, I don't want it either. He's like, I'm okay. out. I'm done. Ow. He's like, it's gone. And when I was talking to him on the podcast, he goes, Will, check this out. And he took me into his room and he opened up his closet. It was just KKK robes. He's like, this is my trophy room. He's gotten 250 people of neo-Nazi groups and KKK groups to give up the life through friendship, not through cutting him out, through friendship. They give up the life. And that's how you beat the cancer of hate is by turning it into kindness and friendship. Yeah. And that was really inspiring Ooh. for me. And that's, I think, the approach that we need to take. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that I like, I know, <laughs> like, I need to pause and cry for a second. That is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, and it's just like, when we talk about mindset stuff, and all of that, like, yeah, what you resist persists, right? Like what you fight against is just going to become bigger and more frustrating and annoying, right? Even if it's an internal thought that you're having and resisting a limiting belief, right? Like, and yes, that extends into our physical world and like interpersonal reaction, right? Like, yeah, hate somebody, like say they're terrible, all this kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily, like, it's hard to shame and hate people into changed behavior that's going to be sustainable and going to be true and grounded in the right stuff. Like, yeah, you can hate and shame somebody into change behavior, but that's not going to work out in the long term, no. right? Like, no. drives yeah. it underground. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, it drives cancel culture, drives it underground, drives it back to like their own echo chamber where they're going to go back and say like Daryl would have gotten up from that table. So like, oh, you guys are discussing your terrible leave out. Then they just go back with their KKK guys. Be like, yeah, see, you can't he, even just hang. Like we he thought. doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. I know. So, okay. I want to shift to talking a little bit about education, school system, all of that. So you've been a high school teacher for a long time and a few things on that. What do you think like some of the biggest problems facing the education system are? Because I also see like in your comments, so many other teachers who are like, I can't, like I'm handicapped at teaching because like we have to pass everybody or can't like all this stuff. So yeah, what would you say? Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, I've been teaching um, just wrapped up this week, my 17th year teaching wow. like full time, but and that student taught before that in Pennsylvania and stuff. But so yeah, it's been a while. The way that it was, I mean, I think start with like the history. So essentially it was created by like a Prussian model where they wanted to build good soldiers. And then the Rockefellers mm -hmm. had a lot of money and they were business people. So they said, we need good compliant workers. You know, when you're moving from the farm, like farms 
we're very contingent on like the weather and things like that, where factories are like, you got to be more structured. It has to be more structured. When a bell rings, you do this, you know, working on assembly lines and things like that. So it's very upfront. I mean, the American school system, the compulsory school system was built to build compliant workers Mm -hmm. because that's what works. I mean, look, we built this beautiful country because people were in factories doing shitty jobs. Like there is utility to that for sure, but it doesn't build creativity. It exchanges, what's something I would say is it exchanges curiosity for compliance. It crushes creativity. Think about this, Lauren. Like, I don't know if, were you like a good kid in school? Yes. Okay. So what did that look like in your behavior in school? I did like all the classes, clubs, sports, all of that, and wanted to be the best at them, you know, get A's on everything, study a lot so I could pass my tests, like all that kind of stuff. So you did what you were told. If they said, be here on time, you were there on time. They said, do this homework. You did the homework, right? Yeah. So like, how do I get into a good college? We got to take these co-curriculars. They go to those extracurriculars, you know? Like, so the whole school system, what even makes you a good kid is not the one who really asks a lot of questions. It's the ones who just do what they're told. Right. The whole model is based on obedience and compliance. And there's are wonderful things to that. But the flip downside of that is then they don't know how to question. They don't know how Mm -hmm. to push back. And we see this with stuff like, I mean, I think it's probably safe to say now that COVID could have been handled better. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's safe to say, right? Like there's, it could have been handled better. Okay. So why did it go the way that it did. I think a lot of people didn't have the tools or the ability to question, to say like, wait, is this right? So like we went to a park and they put like, they bolted two by fours over the rim. So you couldn't play basketball. Like, okay, well, that's just what the, it's the same thing. We've been conditioned for 12 years. That's just what the teachers tell you to do. That's what the principal told you to do. And those are really formative years. I mean, that's when you develop what the world is. I mean, I teach this high school. You look at a ninth grader, they're children. They're real children. They're like just Mm -hmm. getting pubes. And then you look at like an 18 year old leaving, I assume, by the way, (laughs) you look at an 18 year old and they're an adult. Like they can go to war. They can not drink, but they can go to war and then get married. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you become an adult when you leave. So all of your formative years were at this institution that was telling you just to obey, do what you're told, do what you're told, do what you're told. And then we look at the world and a lot of people just do what they're told. And it could be told by the internet and their the sites they watch. It could be told by the police, the authorities, all of these kinds of things is like, you're so scared to push back against that authority because mm. that's the way you've been conditioned. The kids who ask too many inconvenient questions or say like, wait, but why are you doing this, Mr. Jenkins? Like, why are you doing this, Mr. Roosh? Like those kids are problematic kids yeah. and they're either crushed or they're expelled out of the system. And I think at the, when you look at the school system, it's the core of it is how it's built. Again, there are benefits of it, but we have to really recognize the the dangers of that as well. Mm-hmm. But then we can yeah, go on the teachers unions and tenure and all that stuff too. There's a lot. Yeah, of but all of that makes sense and checks out. And even with regard to COVID, right? Like we saw so many doctors and more doctors who were like less the the traditional MD route, but even MDs who during COVID and stuff were speaking up and being like, hey, let's, we need to be asking some more questions or we got to like, you know, all these things. And so many of the things that they were saying like a year later, two years later, whatever turned out to be true. Whereas like, and yet because the like, listen to the experts and so many of the doctors that were being 
elevated, right? Like being a doctor has carries a lot of weight and carries a lot of credibility and all that. But then exactly what you were saying, like, what does school teach us? Like, okay, what does think about the journey for medical school, right? Absolutely not encouraging creativity, improvisation, all of that. <laughs> like, right. Like that's where like, you really need to learn all the right things. And like, there are very clear linear answers and like not question stuff because like, then that's how like somebody dies. Right. Because you're like deciding to like, get like to do some medical improv and all of that. And so it was like really seeing that and how dangerous that like, just follow the rules, do everything right. Ace your test. Like all of that can get so much bigger too. Yeah. Well, you're an entrepreneur. So like you did well in school. So, you know, like, you know how to like, you're articulate, you can write well, you can speak well, you can do the math and the, the logistics to like handle your business. But what I find is kids, I had a uh, William DeRichwitz on my podcast, wrote a book called Excellent Sheep. And he said, that's what like, mm-hmm. especially elite schools, they make excellent sheep. So they're really good at going through obstacle courses. But if when I do stuff, I say like, basically, metaphorically, design an obstacle course, the kids fold. So as an entrepreneur, Was that a struggle for you to go from like, you would be a great employee, but how do you change that into being a successful entrepreneur? Cause there's no guide for you. You're like, you just have (laughs) to figure this out on your own. Was that a struggle for you? Yes. In the early years of my business. And so a big reason why I left the last job that I was at is because it was technically kind of a startup PR agency grew very, very fast. So there was always way too much work, like high stress, like all of that. And me from, you know, living most of my life up until that point as like a overachiever, perfectionist, and someone who had a lot of self-worth issues, right? Like if I'm in a situation where like, oh, the harder you work, the more you work, like you're going to get acknowledged, praised, more money, all of that. Like that was a perfect recipe for massive burnout for me. And that's what ended up happening. But I did notice when I started my own business, it, I also have a very high threshold for risk, which I think you need as an entrepreneur. But when I started my business a, a couple of years in, I kind of looked up because like things were working, but they weren't working how I thought they would. And I was still getting exhausted, burnt out, all of that. And I realized like, I literally was like, oh shit, I'm working like an employee. I'm letting my clients like treat me like they're my boss from when I was like, right. Like, and so then I realized, oh no, this is very much a me problem. This wasn't a problem with the last agency I was at. Well, yes, there were a lot of issues there, but I was like, but this is never going to change if I don't rewire like how I am working and to shift from being like, yeah, a great employee who will bust her ass and like work nonstop all the time to like, really shifting how I was wired. And so much of mine also like that overachieving perfectionist stuff for me, like a lot of that, those were like survival tactics from like really chaotic, stressful childhood. So like, okay, do everything right. Be the best at everything, do all the things. So you don't like rock the boat more. And so also in my entrepreneurial journey, and when I started really healing that my be a really good student and do all the things and do them all really, really well, that started to crumble a bit. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to fucking follow through because there's no threat, right? Like, oh, I don't know how to like do all the things and push myself and grind because I'm not in fear, right? All the time of like getting yelled at or doing, getting a B, you know? And so, yeah, so it took a lot of unlearning of that, like 
be the best, but in this really systematic way. And I would say too, now that I've healed so much of that, I'm able to tap into that and find that energy again, but from a very different place, right. And not from like this scarcity or fear place. So I'm able to like find those habits again and like get dip back into that stuff that helped me be really successful in school, sports, like extracurriculars, college, all that, right. Like all the way through college, like I double majored in college. Cause I was like, instead of graduating early, let's just do a whole nother major. Right. Like yeah. that was like the overdoing was such a theme. And so, yeah, so it took a lot of breaking that apart to like find how I could do that in an authentic, grounded, healthy way. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. You yeah. Build that own structure for yourself. Yeah. Cause you're not forced into it. My wife's like, like that, like you guys are similar. It's tough like, to have yeah. no structure. Like I only dropped one class in all of college and it was an online class. So I was like, Oh, I don't, have to go at these times like and I forgot about it yeah yeah one of the things you said before we hit record because you're creating more and at the end we'll talk about this too but you're creating more resources and things for people to be able to learn from you online more right because like if they can't really get into your classroom like there's limited ways like yeah they can listen to your podcast see what you're sharing on social media but I know even from the comments that like so many people want to learn from you more But one of the things you said before we went on was that you don't have the stomach for the entrepreneurial stuff, which I find surprising because the way that you've grown your social media and the consistency and stuff like that and how you show up, I'm like, oh yeah, you're like doing this as a a project and staying super consistent and committed and all of that, but then not having the stomach for it. I'm like, you see what you have the stomach for though? Like people are yelling at you and saying you're dumb all the time, right? That you should be fired, like all these crazy things. So Break that down for me a little bit more because it is different. It is. So again, it's the structure of it. So my Instagram is literally what I was teaching in class that day, what I was talking about in class that day. So it's easy. It's all my mind. Or it's like the stuff that I'm just like seeing the news and trying to pro it's just my thinking process in real time. That's why Mm -hmm. I get stuff wrong. Cause I'm just like, all right, so here's what I think is going on, blah, 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 blah. Do it like that. And it resonates with people because I think that people understand that like, I love like doing Q&A and stuff, whether it's with my students or online, not because I have the right answers, but people like to see the thinking process that I go through, like how I blaze a trail, not saying this is the right trail, might not be the right trail for you, but how I blaze a trail, like there's Mm -hmm. a coherent line of thinking in how I developed, how I get to where I'm at. I mean, I'm trying to get that to make a clear line. But that seems very easy. It was weird for me at first. I never had social media really before. I never like posted or anything before I decided to expand my classroom. That's the way I thought about it. And my yeah. wife, who was you know very involved in social media and stuff, was like, I come home and say, talk about these cool lessons. And she's like, you should put that online. I was like, first of all, no one wants to hear this. Like, because I'm in the mindset <laughs> of 16-year-olds who don't want to be in school. So I'm constantly yeah. trying to make it interesting because they don't want to be there. And I was like, people have so many options. They don't want to hear it. But even if they do, like, I feel weird talking to my phone. And then when it, I framed mm-hmm. it as it's just an expansion of my classroom, yeah. that was made it okay. Cause I'll be a dancing monkey in front of my students. Like I'll embarrass myself. I'll do anything for like the love of the game, <laughs> for, like the love of teaching. So like once I framed it that way for my social media, for my Instagram, then it changed it. But turning that into something that is just like, I'm going to put my ideas up to like a structured thing that has to build like revenue so I can hire, so I can expand it so that I can teach part-time 
Cause it is such a time consumption. Like I mm. spend time on this app that I'm not spending doing a lot of other things. I'm not spending doing right. jujitsu, which I love, which I'm not spending with my kids, which I'm not spending with my wife, which I'm not spending watching TV. I don't watch sports anymore. Like I miss like the Eagles and like, I didn't watch their whole season, like until the Super Bowl. like I'm giving up a lot for this, but I'm not getting anything. And it seems kind of silly that I should try and build a business out of this partially because there's an interesting thing here. Like this actually plays into like the gender wage gap and stuff too long, but scale is how you make money scale, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So you have to scale it. And if you look at the jobs that are some of the most important jobs we have in society, which would be like nurses, firefighters, things like that. It's hard to scale. They're very personal one-on-one teachers. Right. If hypothetically, I'm not saying, but like hypothetically, I was the best teacher in the country. I'm the best history teacher in the country. Okay. That the kids will learn the most and get the most benefit. The parent families, blah, blah, blah. What does that leave me as far as options? Because in theory, the best basketball player should play basketball for everyone. And the Mm -hmm. best coder should be able to be picked up and code something for everyone. The best engineer should be, you know, whatever, Elon Musk for everybody. But the best nurse, the best firefighter, you can't really scale that. If there's one firefighter that's amazing, he's still going to be stuck in his one firehouse in his one area. And I'm trying to see like, well, if there are some wonderful teachers out there, but they're still stuck to their classroom or they have to leave the classroom and write a book. And hopefully the book translates into some sort of revenue making money, revenue making venture and stuff like that. I'm trying to see. Can I essentially take what I do in the classroom and scale it to every potential like wannabe student across the country or the world? And I don't know because it is so personal. It is the fact when I teach my students, it's like, Jimmy, you love skateboarding. So think of it as if like it's a skateboard trick, blah, 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 blah. Like I connect that way. And that's what a good teacher does. A good nurse is not just the one who can measure the injections, it's the one who connects with you and makes you feel like you're not alone when you're sitting in a hospital mm-hmm. bed. And that stuff is really difficult to scale. Yeah. So the venture that I'm going on is trying to scale my classroom to a point where a lot of people pulling the kids out of school because schools are crazy. So like now they have their kids at home and they're trying to give them something. How do I do that so that it's as if they're in my classroom? And I think technology is obviously helping, but it is still a challenge because I don't know these kids' names. I don't know kind of what makes them tick, what their pain points and pleasure points are, because pain points and pleasure points are really how you connect with people, right? That's how yeah. you're doing business too. You know, you're going to drive them. One of the things I say is like, as my students is like, why did the chicken cross the road? And they say to get to the other side. And I say, no, because the other side is better. There's either something pulling them there. There's chicken seed on the other side of the road, or there's a coyote on this side. Either way, that's why they go. That's why we make every decision that we do. So- essentially what you have to do is you have to tap into that for your students so that you can connect the material. Cause a teacher is not Google. I don't know as much as Google and the day I can be replaced by Google is the day I should. My job, the way I see a, like a classroom teacher's job, especially on the high school level is, is to connect what's on Google, what you can find in any textbook to you, your life, how mm. learning about the Vietnam war or civil war reconstruction will help you today, tomorrow, and in 10 years, like here's, let me give you an example. So like civil war reconstruction, super boring. Like <laughs> no 16 year old gives a shit about what do we do after the civil war, right? This is so hard to relate. But the idea was what do we do with the South? Because they were treasonous. There was a 
big war, hundreds of thousands of people killed. They were fighting over slavery, which is horrifying, all this stuff. So how do I connect this to a 16-year-old? Is the idea that was debated so much in Congress at the times, like nerdy high school teacher stuff, is punish or pardon. So it's a little outdated now, but I use Beyonce's Lemonade. You know that album? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce. And the whole album is going through this thing of what do I do now? Do I leave him? He's my husband. I love him. And he's the father of my child. It's not so easy. We have a lot of money. It's not so easy. Or do I just bring him back and he's going to be just a cheater now forever? Like, what mm -hmm. do I do in this situation? So then I explained it with that. And I talked to them. I'm like, a friend's going to stab you in the back throughout your life, throughout your high school career. You're going to get cheated on. What do you do? Do you bring them back in or do you shun them away? And they both have problems. You have to rack your brain and weigh this out. What do you do? What are the stipulations? If I bring you back in, what do you have to do? Are we doing therapy? Are we doing this? There has to be certain. That's exactly what we did during Civil War Reconstruction is we said to the South, okay, you can come back, but you have to do these kinds of things. And they said, no. So we said that I mean, it was negotiations. That's exactly what happened in Civil War Reconstruction. So that's just an example. But I do that with yeah. every single history event, period. And yeah. that's better if you have a personal connection. But I'm trying to do it in a broad way. And it's just right. Yeah. Because like in entrepreneurial space that I'm in, right, with a lot of personal development, coaching, like that kind of stuff, a lot of my friends actually who have been wildly successful in this industry had teaching backgrounds, right? And so because they're able to break down this stuff that they're really interested in and share it in a way that's going to land, resonate, all of that. And so, yeah, so what you said, like, oh, I, you know, write a book, that's how we extend it the most. But yeah, but I think there's, I wonder if it's a way, because no, right, you won't be able to connect with people in the same way that you do if they're in your classroom and you actually know them, right? Unless it's a really like, small coaching group, live group, something like that. Right. But still then you'll run into scaling issues, you know? And so to truly scale, it's like having passive things or having group membership that can get huge. And maybe there's like one Q and a call a month, you know, like yeah. just ideas, but it's like, I wonder if they, how to bridge that gap more is asking them more questions, right. Asking more questions that are going to connect more internally with whoever it is. But yeah, if you have to find out how they can be more open-ended generic questions, but that elicit really personal things from somebody to be able to draw those connections themselves. That's interesting that a lot of more, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Like you got to make it, break it down to simple. But then again, now there were probably great teachers and now they're out. So who's left That's true. are shittier teachers, which is why so many teachers are shitty because they don't have other options. If you have other options that you could go out and you could become like a mindset coach or something like that, and you can make, six figures, you can make a couple hundred yeah, thousand dollars a year, a month. Yeah. Six <laughs> like, figures a month. Like you're yeah. not going to make that education. So it's too alluring. It's like, I have all these skills. I'm out, I'm out of the classroom. And then what right. happens is the kids in the classroom are losing all of these good yeah. teachers. So they I'm suffer. trying to say like, okay, how do we keep these people in the classroom? So to speak, so that we have good teachers and it's, I don't know if it can be done. I don't know, but that's why right. I'm like racking my brain. That's what I'm trying to do this summer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to see how that plays out because I think yeah, it's really, too. you know, I see in the comments, people like, how do we learn from that? You know, creating curriculum, yeah. whatever it looks like. So I'm really excited. Right. Okay. Oh my gosh. We're coming on to time. I have a few more. I'm going to cut some of the questions that I had okay. that, you know. Okay. I would love for you to hear more about recently, like in the last handful of years, if I'm understanding correctly, became a Christian. Is that yes. correct? 
Yeah. I would love to hear about that journey and landing there. And also what I'd love to hear about that is I think of you as somebody who's very logic minded and, you know, adopting a faith and stuff like that does not necessarily support logic. I know. Or those are competing things. So I'd love to hear about that journey. Yeah. I hesitate to talk about it like too much. So, but yeah. Yeah. Wherever you want to go with it. I mean, I'm good with it. I'm not ashamed, but I also like, I understand the, the stigma because I got baptized on my 40th birthday. Like I'm like a born again Christian. And I swear no one rolled their eyes more at the concept of someone going, dunking their head in water and saying, I'm saved. I'm a born again Christian. No one rolled their eyes more than me. <laughs> like if you're listening and someone's just like, oh, please, I'm skeptical of those people. I was more skeptical. I assure you. So yeah. So how did I get there? I started just, I'm all logic and social science and secular thinking as I started to really dive into that. And it kept leading me to this idea that there's a whole lot to it, but essentially in the secular things, a whole bunch of elements trying to think how to like coherently put it together. But like one thing was I sought out to do what I always promote, which is seek disconfirmation. So I was actively trying to prove Christianity wrong, which is like, I just thought it was like, or like faith. I think first it was just like the idea of God is like wrong. So I read a lot of atheist books. So Wow. Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, the God delusion of Dawkins, you know, all these people, I watched a lot of debates and it left me like, wait a second, there's something missing from here. Then when all like the crazy, like woke stuff came out, part of where that stemmed from was the new atheist movement. I had a, a biologist named Colin Wright on my podcast and he was talking about, he's like strong atheist. I had Peter Bogosian. He wrote a book, how to create atheists on my podcast. Mm. And these are people who are anti-woke. So like a better term, like just basically the critical social justice stuff. They're very critical of that. And what I found was the people who were anti-woke, why? It's because they don't like the dogmatic kind of like faith kind of way of just like believing things that aren't rooted in logic or reason. And a lot of those kinds of things, like they just believe it in their core, they believe it in their heart, and that's all there is to it. And it sounded to those atheists a lot like people who have religion. It's like, I just believe it in my heart. Why do you think that, you know, whatever, black people are out being hunted by police all day when Roland Fryer's studies and the crime statistics don't show that? It's like, I just know it in my heart. I feel it. I had an experience and that experience transformed me. That sounds very religious, right? Right. So that was going on. And then I'm understanding the social science of this. So then after I was doing that, then I started reading. I was like, okay, let me read some Christian books. So I read like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and stuff Mm -hmm. and Tim Keller's the, the reason for God and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. There's some logic behind these like apologetic stuff, but I don't see any conflict between science and faith. I think that at the end of the day, like one thing I'm really diving into now is understanding placebo effect. Okay. Mm. So there are studies where people have clinical anxiety, right? And they're taking anxiety medication, lorazepam or something like that. And then they're told, 100 people, they're told 50 of you tomorrow are going to get a sugar pill and 50 are going to get your lorazepam, okay? All 100 had their anxiety come back. The power of placebo effect is extremely strong. Yeah. Apparently Fireball was making these little of uh, whiskey that didn't have any alcohol in it, but people were drinking them and feeling drunk. So <laughs> if you really believe something, your brain chemistry, I think it's Dr. Kelly Brogan was talking about this, like mm-hmm. your brain chemistry changes. Yeah. 
Dr. Joe Dispenza is yeah. all about this stuff. Yeah. Joe Dispenza, yes. So if you really believe in faith, even if you're just saying it's nonsense, I'm gonna believe in this, it will benefit your life. Okay, so that could be it. And I was talking to a pastor and I was talking to him about placebo effect. He's like, you know what? We call it faith. <laughs> okay, so if you just deeply believe in this thing, it will work out for your life in real positive ways. It will benefit you. People go, well, that's nonsense. It's like, well, but by definition, it can't be nonsense in that realm. So it's, but it's not just that, but that's like one thing that where like the secular and the religious move together. I believe, and this is like something John Haidt, who's also an atheist talks about, is we have some sort of container in us to believe in a higher power. Hmm. So that's going to be filled by something, whatever is at the end of the day, we have a hierarchy at the end of the day, whatever is at the top of that, the most important thing in your life is going to be your God for lack of a better term. So whatever that is, you put that at the top of everything. You need to put something up there. So choose that wisely, choose that wisely. Mm -hmm. And then that's one, another thing that led me to it. I got a whole lot here. Another thing is if you are an atheist, I don't think it's coherent thinking to believe in free will. Sam Harris talks about this. Like if you are just chemicals and electrical signals and hormones mm. and stuff like that, then you don't actually ha get a choice to decide. I don't have a choice to decide to tap that mic. It's just the, my biology. It's like billiard balls on a table in the same barometric pressure, the same wind, the same temperature, the same force, the balls move the same. And people like Sam Harris, who are strong atheists, neuroscientists, smart guys, don't believe in free will. So prisons get a little gnarly and stuff like that, but we understand. But like, I do believe in free will. So I said, mm -hmm. okay, so I was going through this whole process. This is multiple years. Once you have free will, then what do you do? Okay, so not an atheist. So maybe I'm just an agnostic. So there's something out there and we don't know what. That wasn't satisfactory to me. We don't mm -hmm. know what. Well, how hard are you looking? If you have a question of like, there's something, how hard are you actually looking into it? So I looked hard. I read like so many books. And then I was like, all right, I'll read a Bible. Yeah, what can, and I started reading Bible. And then I was like, oh, there's actually good wisdom in here. Like, how is it that in the Old Testament, like they knew to wash your hands before eating. That was long before germ theory. There's stuff mm -hmm. in like Jewish culture that they still adhere to, which is like the Old Testament of sitting Shiva, which is like you have to mourn when someone dies. You have to sit for seven days and just cry. You don't bathe. People take care of you. How did they know to do that? Like there's these structures for like how to live life. You need a blueprint. I don't know how to live life. I don't know. I need a guide. I need a map. And if I don't have a map, I'm going to wander around aimlessly. So I need a map. So I need to pick a map. What map am I going to choose? This seems like a good map. I'll try it. And I chose the map of Christianity because I like the map of like, this is a guide. And also has like, when I tell my kids to make a project here, you should do a project on World War II. Here is an A plus from last year. So you have an idea of what the ideal perfect aim is. That's Jesus. He lived perfect. I'm not going to get the A plus. I'm not going to live like him. But if I can have that as like a guide, all right, I can kind of work towards, at least I have an aim for where to go on my map. So it was like, that's a lot. So it's like all of these things came together and I was like, all right, I'm just going to lean into it. I'm going to go all in. And as I did it, my life got quantifiably, measurably better in every way. When I'm scared, wow. I'm less scared. When I'm happy, I'm more happy. I'm a better father. I'm a better parent. I'm softer. I have that, like, what would Jesus do thing in the back of my head all the time when someone's being mean to me and stuff like that. So 
it works for me. And I did not want to be Christian. <laughs> I did not try to do this. Just it became illogical for me not to. For wow. me, I say yeah. for everybody, but for me, it became illogical not to. That was a lot. No, thank you so much for sharing yeah. all of that. That's fascinating. And I love your process for having navigating it, right? Yeah. As you said, similar to how you dive into so many other issues and curiosities. And one of the things for me, like as I, because my faith has definitely strengthened in the last couple years as well. And it's, and expanded so much. And one of the things for me with like, even the stuff we were talking about around like so many different perspectives and different people and like, oh, well, if, you know, with, you were talking about with the voting thing, it's like, okay, if half the country voted a certain way, but you feel so strongly, that's the wrong way. Like if that many people believe it's the right way, like it's worth like exploring and at least like learning about, right. Cause that all of them can't be completely wrong or terrible, right. Like that kind of thing. And so something for me, that's been really fascinating is on the one hand, as I learn more about consciousness, other cultures, other religions, that sort of thing, I'm like, most of us are like saying the same thing and very similar things, mm-hmm. which I think is really beautiful. And then also like something I ground into a lot, especially like with completely different people, thoughts, like whatever it is being like, wow, like what I believe, right. God is in all of us and we are all created in the image of God. And so you're looking around and you're like, but everyone's so different. Like how wild that like, we are all like each of us in all of our differences, like on the one hand going like, wow, God, like you made so many different kinds of people. Like the ultimate creativity in that is so cool to think about. And then being like, oh, and you say like, you love everyone just the same and they're all created in your image. So like, whoa, that then connects you with these people that you may completely disagree with, hate, whatever, it connects you with that and brings more empathy to the table. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I feel like we could keep going. I have like two part question and then we'll just like get your, you know, where everyone can find you all of that. So I love you and Sheila's relationship. I really admire it. You guys are role models for how you navigate your marriage, how you're raising the boys, all of that. And so like one, acknowledging you guys for that. I think you're like, from what I see and know, like, I think you guys are killing it. I'm like, oh, like such like taking notes and everything like that. So I would love to know some of the principles or things that have made your relationship really successful or whatever those like kind of habits or like key pillars are. And then similarly with raising your boys, like, what do you guys really like ground into for both of those? Yeah. I mean, we fight. I mean, that's the thing is like, we fight, we get on each other's nerves and we fight, but like, we have it out. Like I've talked to so many relationships, like people are married, like, yeah, we, I haven't fought with my wife in three years. It's like, well, I haven't fought three days. Like we fight mm-hmm. and then we make up and we have to sort this out, especially because of our cultural differences and stuff was wired differently, but a deep commitment to like, just like I said, like getting to the right answer to like getting to peace and love and getting to like through that process. I am typically the one who says like, I need a minute, maybe a day. Like I just need to get away from this and she wants to solve right now. So that becomes fights and stuff like that. But we're deeply in it. I think our faith, we leaned into that more. We got married, it wasn't a Christian ceremony at all. And I think that now like having that, it rounds my edges a lot. I was a lot mm-hmm. more aggro when we'd fight. And now it's a lot more, I'm like, oh, damn it. How would Jesus, oh geez. Okay, mm-hmm. well I can't, can't call her a bitch now. Like, so. <laughs> I think I've become better and she would attest to that. 
but we're on the same page about what we want. We just talk about things at nauseum. Like we just talk and talk and talk and talk, 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 talk. So there's no, like literally no secrets, like no secrets. And I mean, maybe it's like, sorry, like it's like really crude. Like I took a huge shit or something like that. <laughs> like nothing that really matters. Sorry. That's really right. crude. Yeah. And part of that is, this is maybe like a key is like, you don't shame someone for like the thoughts that they have, especially when it comes to like sexual stuff, like things that she's into things that I'm into. I think that if your spouse like shames that, like that's not like mm. good or that's bad or that's weird. That's like, as long as it's not anything like illegal, you know, that it's like, okay, then how do we bring that into our relationship? You know, oh, you're into this. Okay. Then how do we assimilate that to our marriage and stuff like that? Cause this is something that's like in you that you really want. Okay. Then how do we kind of work with that? There's an, an element of like recognizing your partner for who they actually are, knowing their insecurities. So, you know, like when you do fight, like there are things that when we're fighting where I'm like, I could say this and just tear her down. Why would I want to do that? Like, that's okay. not going to make anything better. It's going to make her feel worse. It's going to make me feel worse. When we're arguing, what it's trying to do is trying to get to an understanding. Like, do you understand why I'm frustrated trying to communicate with you or why she, she's asking me? So it's, it's a lot of communication. I can't believe it. I talked to so many couples who are like big things Like we've had like friends over like before they had kids or something like that. We're like, you're going to have kids. And then they're like, yeah. And the other one says like, no, it's like, what? Wow. <laughs> talk about that. This is like first date stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's just like, we just like, what do you like about this? What do you like about that? Do you not like this? It's a lot of communication. And I think the same thing with my boys. I think that like when they misbehave, if we're going to screw up our kids in which we will, but like, if we're going to screw up our kids in one way, it's going to be like mom and dad just talk to us too much. It's not like we weren't addressed. It's not like yeah. that. It's like they forced us. And sometimes they're too young. because so we'll do this long thing about like, you know, building the person you want to be and stuff. And then they'll just be like, I like fire trucks. You know yeah, I mean? And you're like, like cool. A little too early. <laughs> like it's a lot of communication and that takes time. Just really connect and you do it as much with softness as you can, especially when you're frustrated kids, it's easier than your spouse. But I, I guess that maybe that's cliche. I don't know. Like tons of communication about what you're feeling, what you're going through, showing that vulnerability, being okay with vulnerability. I think, especially for men, like I'm better now at being like, I am hurt. You know, mm. you hurt my feelings as opposed to like, I think even just a few years ago, it was just anger. Like I was really limited in my spectrum of emotions. So it was yeah. just like anger was just like for a lot of dudes. So now I can talk about more details of like how I speak and stuff like that, how I connect with my emotions. And I think that's an important thing, but the woman needs to make a safe space essentially for their guy, especially if he's like a dude, he's not like an overly yeah. sensitive guy, like, which I think to some degree, I think women want, they want like a dude, but you want a dude who can tap into their emotions. That's in conflict. My wife likes that. I'm like a dude who's like, oh, the toilet's broken. I can fix that. There's a hole. I can fix that. I can do this kind of stuff. I can hunt or whatever it is. But she also wants me to be like the really soft guy. And it's like, well, that's a really hard thing. The only way I can be soft is if I open up that way. And it's not like, okay, thank you. Come on in. Like there is like guys have that. And I think they have to feel like it's safe to be able to show those emotions because we've kind of been conditioned so much in society to not be that way. So in our home, in our bedroom, it needs to be a place where I can like, yeah, like cry in her arms and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And not feel like that makes me, you know, less of a man or anything like that. But to be able to tap into that, because I think we're conditioned to not be that way, but to be able to flip from being like masculine to being like soft and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Thank you.
Yeah. All right. We are over time. This has been amazing, amazing, amazing. So last things before we sign off here, where can everybody, and we'll include this all in the show notes too, but where can everybody connect with you, learn more about you, all of that? Yeah. So Instagram is probably like the best. I don't check DMs though, because it's a little overwhelming. So it's just my name, Will Roosh, R-E-U-S-C-H. And then my website, it's transferring over. So I think it's still my name, willroosh.com, W-I-L-L-R-E-U-S-C-H.com. It might also be cylinderradio.com. I'm not sure. Okay. So well, Cylinder Radio is the name of my podcast. Cylinder Radio. That's where the downloads are for like, I have that one. I have another one that's coming out in the next couple of days, I think, about how to use social media to make you better, not worse. So mm. that's going to be on cylinderradio.com. The idea of Cylinder Radio is like, it's a circle or it's a rectangle. So it's all about viewpoint yeah. diversity. That's the idea. So yep. those places. I love it. Okay. Last question that I ask everybody who comes on. So this show is very much about amplifying your own truth, your voice, right? Like whatever the most authentic, fully expressed version of you, like how living that in the world. And so I would love if you have like a parting word of wisdom or a question people can ask themselves, reflect on a quote that you really like to just support people in being and living as the most amplified version. Yeah. So something, I don't have like something like prepared. So like something along the lines of self-awareness, like really looking into questioning your preconceived ideas about who you are, what you want and things like that. Like question, I just lean a lot into curiosity. So keep being curious about who you are. Like be curious, dive into who you are, like really be curious about who you are. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Will. Everyone, please go check out Will on all the places. Get plugged into his podcast. Get that freebie. All of that. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, Mars. Great to see you. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode and if you know of somebody else who is bold, successful, and unapologetically owning their unique magic while they make a big impact in the world, please send them my way. And it would also mean the world to me if you help me get this message out to as many listeners as possible. So if you liked what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you would please take 30 seconds to leave a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share this episode with your friends. Be sure to tag me so that I can say thank you. And until the next episode, keep showing up, keep using your voice, and keep being you. Because the world needs more of your magic.